Okay, Parshas B'Shalach, a very uh, significant Parsha as far as the story of the Jewish people traveling through uh, the desert goes. Our Parsha is going to begin as we left. We completed already at the end of last week's Parsha, the official exodus. We left Mitzrayim, and uh, we're, of course, going to have Az Yashir, as we began discussing just a few moments ago, as they cross the sea. Um, and begin their preparations for receiving the Torah. What I'd like to discuss is the beginning of the parsha. We've been working through the writings of Rav Hirsch um, since this new cycle uh, we began a few months ago of reading through the Chumash. I'd like to focus on two episodes in the beginning of the parsha, two circuitous routes, if you will, or obstacles that the Jewish people faced as they left Mitzrayim. And he has a couple of brilliant comments that I'd like to share on both of them. The first episode is the very beginning of the Parsha. Let me share the screen so you can all see it in front of you. Parsha begins as follows. Here we have it is in front of you. I want to read that. Let's read this first episode. We'll read it straight through the first two, three psukim. Then we'll go back and discuss a little bit. Paro sends out the Jews. He finally says, as we read in last week's parasha, go, leave already after the death of the firstborn. We can't take it anymore. However, the Torah here tells us, Velo nacham elokim derech eretz plishtim. Hashem did not lead them. He did not guide them through the land of the plishtim. Ki karofu, even though that would have made the most sense. If you want to take a direct route from where they're leaving in Mitzrayim in order to get to the land of Eretz Yisrael, which is their goal and destination, that was 100% the simplest, most straightforward direct route would be called Derech Eretz Plishtim, through the route of the Plishtim. So why does Hashem not take them through the route that would have been the simplest, most direct route? Ki Amar Elohim, because Hashem, so to speak, said to himself, I'm afraid, he said, that the people will have a change of heart. They will, so to speak, they will regret leaving when they see war, when they see the plishtim, who we, we would go through their lands, when they would come out and, and be armed and be threatening, the people would panic, vishovu mitzrayimah and they would go back to Mitzrayim. So Hashem sees these people, the Jews that just left, if they get the hint of, of war, they're going to lose it. And I can't take them this route, which would have been the most direct, because they on their own would then drop everything and run back to Egypt. So therefore, the next passage tells us, yamsuf. Instead of the derech eretz plishtim, instead of the root of the land of the plishtim, which would have been straightforward, clean, and clear, instead he took them derech hamidbar. He took them through the root of the wilderness, through the yamsuf, and that's the way that they were going to leave to avoid the plishtim and to avoid the war. And then the Torah adds, vachamushim alu b'nei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim. The Jewish people left Chamushim. Rashi offers two interpretations of what does it mean that the Jewish people left Chamushim. You see in front of you, the English translation is Rashi's first interpretation, which he understands to be the simple meaning of the Pasuk. They left armed. They took, not only did they take from the Egyptians, as we read in last week's Parsha, gold and silver and clothing, they also took uh, weaponry. They took swords. They took what they would need for war as they left Mitzrayim. 
not only did the Jewish people take arms when they left Mitzrayim, the very next Pasuk tells us one other thing that they took, and it wasn't that it was a all of them, but this was specifically Moshe. Vayikach Moshe es atzmos Yosef imo. Moshe took with him the bones of Yosef. Why is Moshe taking the bones of Yosef? The Torah tells us, ki hashbeah hishbeah as B'nai Yisrael lemor. Yosef made the Jews swear before his death, saying, there will be a time where Hashem will surely remember you and redeem you from this land. Don't forget about me. Take my bones with you when you leave. Rashi comments, Yosef understood that even though his father, Yaakov, when he died, commanded Yosef not to just wait and allow Yaakov to be buried and then later take him out, Yaakov demanded from Yosef, take me now. As soon as I die, bring me to the land of Eretz Yisrael and bury me there. Yosef himself does not do that to his children. Rashi says Yosef understood that Yosef was the viceroy. He would have the ability to, to bury his father Yaakov, but that Yosef's own children would not have that ability. And therefore, Yosef simply makes everybody swear that when the time comes, which was... Uh, over 100, 200 years later, don't forget about me. And then the Medrash the, picks up the sages note that it was specifically Moshe who's the one who does this, that even though all of the other Jews are busy getting gold and silver and clothing and arms for their journey, Moshe is the only one who's worrying, running around worrying about the bones of Yosef. Uh, a lover of money will always be caught up with money. A lover of mitzvos will only seek more mitzvos. The Medrash says, quoting a Pasuk from Sefer Mishle, as we see from Moshe, there's much to talk about this. I think we've done so in past years as well. We'll leave it at that. What do we now see as a summary? We'll do one more Pasuk just to conclude the, the, the section of the Chumash by Yisumi Sukos, by Yachanube Esam Vigzei So they set out from a place called Sukot, and in and made camp in a place called a sum at the edge of the at the edge of the wilderness. Okay, so what do we have here? A quick summary. We have the idea that what should have been their journey Derech Eretz Plishtim through the way of the Plishtim, and Hashem chooses not to take the Jewish people there because they would be afraid of war. So instead, He takes them in a roundabout, circuitous route through the Midbar and the Yamsuf. We all know what's going to happen there a little bit later in our parsha, but that was to avoid war, avoiding the Jewish people, throwing everything down and running back to Mitzrayim out of fear. The Torah also tells us that these Jews took up weapons with them when they left, and Moshe was busy taking the Aron of Yosef. Let's start with a number of comments from Rav Hirsch on this idea. He picks up on the end of last week's parsha, which we, of course, did not study together at the very end of the parsha, was a series of mitzvot that Hashem teaches Moshe. Specifically, we have a lengthy discussion of the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, the mitzvah of the Karban Pesach, the first offering that the Jews would actually bring in Mitzrayim and then be required to bring every Pesach, which is, of course, it's brought in the Arab Pesach on the 14th of Nisan. We learn a lot about the mitzvah of eating matzah, of course, on Pesach, and a series of mitzvahs. Number one, Pidyon Haben, the redeeming of the firstborn, that the firstborn child and firstborn animals are sanctified and need to be redeemed, each one, of course, in their different way. And the mitzvah of tefillin, all of those were discussed at the end of last week's Pasha. First points out, that is painting a picture of what the ideal 
uh, mission of the Jewish people would be about. Ideas like the Karpan Pesach, about eating matzah, about tefillin, about the sanctification of the firstborn in every family. It's a vision. It's an image of what the Jewish nation should be like. And after teaching us that at the end of last week's Parsha, our Parsha begins, as Refer says, with a vision of the reality of the Jewish people. Nowhere near the image of what we should be, of what we're destined to be, but a picture of the reality of what we actually are as we leave Mitzrayim. And that is simply redeemed from slavery and far away from the courage, far away from the power that would be needed to actually attain our religious goals and ideals that have been set out for us. We're not there yet, and we're not ready. And what he points out is that how, (coughs) in his language, how absolutely lacking we were in the slightest trace of power and courage, not only that we couldn't attain the slave of freedom for ourselves from slavery, but even after it was attained, we didn't even have the courage and the strength to maintain the freedom that we had. And that is evidenced by the fact that Hashem looks at them and says, if they so much as see war, they're going to flee. They're going to run back to Mitzrayim. And as Rav Hirsch uh, points out, excuse me, and it was not the sword that they were lacking. They had the sword. In fact, the Torah highlights they all came out armed. It was the heart underneath the sword that failed them. They had no courage to fight. And above all, he writes, they, they had no spirit of trustfully putting themselves in Hashem's hands under any and all circumstances of finding the will and courage, the power and the enthusiasm in the consciousness of being guided by Hashem. Now that's his fancy language. Let's talk about this, what he, what he means and what he says and, as he continues. Our nation, our people is a unique people in the world, he describes. We are a people who the entire development of our nation, of what we represent, of what we need to be, is not simply the outcome of our own fruits of our labor, our own decisions, our own talents, our own capabilities. Every other nation in the world is however strong they are, however smart they are, however talented they are, will be the net result of whatever it is that they become as a nation. Take all the individuals together, put them together, figure out and and watch them develop. And you see in the world, some nations develop like this and some nations develop like that. And it's all a product of what went in to them. Who are they and what are they capable of doing? And not so, says Rav Hirsch, the Jewish nation. The object of the establishment of the Jewish nation, he writes, Hashem didn't just need one more nation. We represent something completely different than everything else. And that is amongst all the nations of the world who are going to develop a national life conscious of the guidance of Hashem. That there is a a guiding hand that we understand, a national mission that is divine in nature. The Jews at the time when we left Mitzrayim were not yet ripe for such a life in which we would put forth all of our energies and all of our efforts and all of our talents, but understanding that it's not really just us, it's the guiding hand of Hashem that will determine where we will end up. In such a life, he writes, I'm using his language because it's so beautiful, in such a life that we're supposed to be living, 
one uses all of one's own powers to the fullest extent that human that is human possible humanly possible to the ends to the goals that Hashem himself sets and leave the success of such efforts to the support of Hashem there's a there's a balance meaning a Jew understands it's not about me saying I'm not going to do anything Hashem this is your problem you take care of me that's not the right approach nor is it the approach to say I got this don't worry about a thing. I'm in control. Don't worry, Hashem. I don't need you. I'm good. Neither one of those two are a Jewish approach to how we live life. It can't be that you just sit on the sidelines and do nothing. And it can't be that you think you do everything. So what is that balance, that magical balance? It's a magical balance that says, Hashem, I know you're in control. And I know that you have set the goals, the purpose, the mission for me. And I know that you've given me the tools that I need to do so, so that I take every ounce of strength, every ounce of talent, every bit of courage and fortitude that I have, and I put it all into the success that I know you will help me achieve. And that is a unique balance that we have in which we never understand that it's kokhiva otsim yad. It's all about me. I can do this on my own. Nor is it about, I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit in my house and the crops will grow and the wars will be fought. It's not true. We have to do all of that knowing that every strength and talent that we have has been gifted to us and that it is under Hashem's divine protection that we will succeed. That is the mission of the Jewish nation. And the Jews were not ready for it, that mission, at this time as they left Mitzrayim. The Jews needed first to be educated to the full consciousness and confidence that God has a direct care for those who obey him and will not only protect them from massive destruction, but will watch over their existence day by day by day. This way of living a life takes training to understand that Hashem is involved in our lives. If, if you don't have a training of this is really the way that it works, then you're left on either one of those two sides just to say like, what, what, what do you want from me? Hashem is going to take care of it. No, it's not how it works. And nor can a person say, I'm on my own. I'm going to do this. No, that's not how it works. That training will only be learned from extraordinary experiences and those extraordinary experiences, says Rafersh, are the meaning and the object of the wandering in the wilderness and the meaning of the detour which Hashem is now making us take. Says Rafersh, I should go Derek Eretz Plishtim. This is not, they're not a people, they're ready for it. They're not lacking arms. They're not lacking swords and knives. They have them. But when they see war, they're going to panic. They have not yet experienced enough in life. They have not yet experienced enough of my relationship with them, Hashem says. I'm going to take care of you. All they've seen, 10 plagues, but they were slaves. They were overworked. They were broken. They have not yet experienced where I can say to them, you have your arms. We're going to go through the Derech Eretz Plishtim. You're going to be okay. You're going to be ready to fight. You might need to fight, and you're still going to be okay. They're not ready. What's going to happen if they see war? They're going to panic, and they're going to run. And therefore, this first circuitous path that we engage in as we open up this week's Parsha is the first step or first rites in the training ground of the Jewish nation, which is going to need to last us for all of Jewish history, of I'm going to be with you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to protect you, and you are going to be my nation that is going to engage with courage, with strength, and with enthusiasm and power 
but that's not your own. That's knowing that I'm behind you. And we're going to get there, Hashem says, through the 40-year training of the desert. You're going to learn this through the wanderings. And it starts with this wandering right here to learn that particular lesson. That is circuitous route number one, or obstacle number one that we find. And he writes, just to conclude this section, on the fact that the Torah tells us that Moshe took the bones of Yosef with him, he notes a curiosity. This is a strange place to tell us this because at the end of last week's parsha, the Jews already left Mitzrayim. They already left. It was the night of the Seder. The Egyptians pounded on the doors and they left. And it says, They left. That's when the Torah should have told us that the Jews, Moshe took the Atzmos Yosef. Why does the Torah first tell us now in a narrative that, and it was when Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, that he led us in this route and not in that route. He, he already has the bones of Yosef with him for a while. Why are we first learning about it now? Says Refersh, it must be to emphasize the contrast that here we have 600,000 armed men who being led by Hashem to the promised land are so afraid of war that they would panic and flee back to the place of their servitude to Mitzrayim. And so therefore, who's going to lead them? No other than the true Jew, like Yosef, with his full assurance, even beyond his death, Hashem will fulfill his promises. He's going to redeem you. He's going to remember you. He's going to take you back to the land. And therefore, the view of the bones of Yosef at the head of the train, says the first, preached a constant sermon to the people who had to be led through this detour through the wilderness on their lack of spirit and fortitude, be like Yosef. Yosef, who always knew, was sure, was confident there'll be a time there's going to be a time that Hashem will redeem you. Those are the bones that have to lead the Jews on a detour as a reminder of the goal that they have in front of them to be able to put their confidence and trust before Hashem, even as they're not quite yet, not yet quite there. That's episode number one, comments from a first. Let's turn the second episode is the famous episode as the Jews reach the Yamsuf and they look behind them and they see the Egyptians pursuing them. Let's take a look at the Psukim inside and uh, some of the comments from Rav Hirsch on that. So let's just forward down just a few psukim. Uh, the Torah tells us, It was told to the king of Mitzrayim that the nation had fled. As you know, of course, he had given them permission to go for three days. But meanwhile, six days go by. They haven't come back. So it was told to Paro. So his heart turns and he says, What have we done? So he orders up his chariot, he takes his men with them, and he takes 600 uh, of his uh, choicest uh, chariots, the Kol Rech of Mitzrayim, and officers, Hashem has hardened his heart, and of all of the Egyptians, pursue after Bnei Yisrael, even as the Jewish people were Yotzein, Biyad Ramah, they left with a defiant hand, and now, by your the Egyptians have pursued after him. And here we get to the drama. The uh, Egyptians have now overtaken them at the Yam. All of his horsemen and his warriors, as they're encamped by the sea. Alpiachirosafnebalzafonator gives us the exact locations. Uparo, Ikriv, and here we go. Now we'll get to the point that we're going to slow down on a little bit and learn some of Hershey's comments. Uparo, Ikriv, Paro draws nearby Yisru, B'nai Yisrael, Es'eneihem. B'nai Yisrael, look up with their eyes. Let's set the scene. Here we are. They're at the Yamsuf. In front of them is a sea of water, nowhere for them to go. They look up there with their eyes behind them, and here is the most powerful nation, their former taskmasters, 
paro, his chariots, his officers, his horses, everything is there. And look, the Egyptians are advancing towards them. They are frightened, terribly frightened, the Torah describes the Jews. And they cry out to Hashem. This is now six days post, six to seven days um, post <coughs> leaving Mitzrayim. It's a week. They've been traveling. Just when they think they're out of the range of the Egyptians, they run into this terrible stumbling block to see in front of them the Egyptians behind them. And they call out. They say to Moshe, were we lacking graves? Were there no other burial plots in Mitzrayim, Moshe? Yeah, to take us here? To die in the desert? We could have died back in Mitzrayim. It would have been so much easier. What? You ran out of graves? You had nowhere to bury us? You took us here? What did you do? Why did you take us out? that now all we have to do is die here in the desert with uh, all of our families here. That's what we spoke to you back in Mitzrayim. And we said, Leave us alone. And we'll serve the Egyptians. Better, better to serve the Egyptians than to die. We told you this back in Mitzrayim already, they say to Moshe. Leave us alone. What, you know, you just see the mindset. Better for us to be back in Egypt. We'll be slaves to the Egyptians rather than dying here in the desert. Moshe says to them, I am Moshe, and you can hear the calmness in his voice. Al-Tir-U, do not be afraid, he says. His stand, stand by. Uru'u es Yeshua Hashem, and you will see the Yeshua, the salvation of Hashem, Asher Yaselachem Hayom, that he's going to do for you today. Not to worry. Ah, you see the Egyptians today? The same way you see them now. You'll never see them again like this. And so you're done. You won't see them. Just stand back and watch the show. Hashem Yilachem Lachem, concludes. Hashem is going to do battle for you. You need to do nothing. Just sit back and relax. You're good. Okay, this is our first major obstacle that we run into. It's a week after uh, Mitzrayim. The Jews are stuck. They panic. They call out to Hashem. They speak harshly to Moshe. And they say, what, what, there are no graves? You have no place to bury us? You took us here to die? We would have rather be back in Mitzrayim. We told you that. We'd rather serve them. Moshe comes. Now, we, we as readers of the Chumash, know what's going to happen over the next 40 years. The complaints and the kvetching and this, that, and the other. And this rebellion. We, we are familiar with that. But this is really their first, and Moshe has a very calming, understanding response. Not to worry, he says, really do not be concerned. Really, his yatsu, just stand back and watch. Hashem will fight for you. You can do nothing. Just be silent and watch. A couple of comments. First of all, Refersh points out, Moshe was of the belief, which Hashem is going to correct him. Moshe is of the belief that there is nothing for the Jews to do that all they need to do is stand back and Hashem himself will take up arms for them, fight the battle for them, and they need to do absolutely nothing. And Hashem's response in the very next Pasuk, Why are you calling out to me? Tell the Jews to move, to go. In that line in which Hashem, Moshe said, just stand back and watch. 
You don't need to do anything. And Hashem says, tell them to travel. What's the dialogue, so to speak, between what Moshe says of like, get some popcorn, pull up a seat. This is going to be amazing. And Hashem saying, no, 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 no. Put away the chair, put away the popcorn, tell them to get going. What's happening between them? So Rav Hirsch says that this is the way that things go. Salvation is indeed dependent on the people. The first step must be taken by them. They must show themselves deserving of salvation by a courageous, fearless act, showing their trust in Hashem. It doesn't work that way, Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, you think that it's the kind of thing where the Jews can just sit back and do nothing and Hashem does everything? Uh-uh-uh. That's not how this dynamic works. This goes back to the comment we said just a few moments ago. A Jewish nation, the Jewish nation, has a unique dynamic in which we know it's all Hashem. And at the same time, we have to do it ourselves. We have to mar- mar- um, marshal every ounce of strength and talent and courage to do what we need to do, knowing that it's Hashem that's really making it happen. That's, that's a task. And it happens right here, says the first in which Moshe says, sit back, it's going to be great. Shem says, tell them to travel. They need to move forward into a sea to do that which might be impossible, but they have to take that first step to be courageous and fearless, show that they have trust in Hashem. That is what is concerned. It is not, I, I'm not the only one who's active here, Hashem says. The people must do their part by trusting with their courage. You, as my messenger, Hashem says to Moshe, they have to trust you. And by proving the event to be an active Hashem, you'll see, I'll make it clear that I'm the one in charge. But they have to be active participants. That is how the salvation of the Jewish people go. As the first points out, there are incidents in Jewish history in which literally miracles happen while the Jews are asleep. But the more common, and certainly here, the root is, tell them to be active participants in their salvation. Do what they need to do and know that I am the one behind them. What we see here, going back to their complaints, very importantly, your first point out, the Jews are not convinced that this is going to work. They cry out to Hashem. They say, why did you take us out of Mitzrayim to die here? And in this, Refer says, we see a truly uh, important, important concept. In his language, he says as follows. They doubted Moshe's entire mission. Here they are trapped. They think they're all going to die. And in their position, he writes, sorry, I'm just shifted away from the sun, so it's not in your eyes. There you go. In their position, in their position, from their standpoint, there was a very understandable doubt. It was a very understandable doubt. How could they, how dare they, he says, possibly have assumed that they were going to survive this, that there would be some type of extraordinary miracle that was going to take place of which there was no precedent against all natural expectation. They're stuck. Now, it's true they've seen many miracles over the last year, but right now, to expect that, they're in a place in which there is no natural salvation possible. I like to use this, we've spoken about this many, many times. You know, when the political analysts, they look at the situation just as an example, today in the Middle East, and you say like, we don't even have as great a crisis that's facing us literally today as has been in many, many years in in most recent history. It's like, how are we going to solve this problem? How are we going to solve the Arab problem? How, like, what are we going to do with them? How are we going to have peace? Good question. There is no natural solution that anyone has come up with, obviously. 
So like, what are we going to do? I don't know. But that's, so here we have coming out of Mitzrayim. They're, and they're literally life and death, and there is no natural salvation. What, what, what's going to happen? So the people are concerned, says the first. Naturally, they're concerned, and for good reason, they're concerned. However, these doubts, he writes, form an important proof for the truth of Moshe's mission. It had to be that they doubted him. It had to be that they didn't believe it was going to happen. And it had to be that they're going to question it over and over and over again. Why? See, he quotes from Rabbi Huda Halevi, who wrote the Sefer HaKuzari, that if Moshe, Moshe had to be dealing with a people who, in his words, were clear-minded and not easily taken in or convinced by whatever came along their way. Now, you have different groups of people, individuals and nations along. Somebody comes in and promises them salvation. They're like, we're in, whatever you say, we'll follow. That could not be the Jewish people that Moshe is going to sweep into Mitzrayim and say there's going to be salvation. It's going to be amazing. And all the people are like, whatever you say, Moshe, we'll do it. Oh, no, 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 the Jewish people. The Jewish people are not going to be easily taken in. They're not going to be easily convinced. They are going to have to put up with 2,000 years of exile that we are in the midst of, 3,000 years of Jewish history, in which they are going to carry the name of Hashem on their chests proudly. They are going to be martyred. They're going to be slaughtered. They're going to be inquisition. They're going to be Holocaust. And they're going to remain true to that name of Hashem that they wear proudly. And a nation that's going to do that throughout their history cannot be a nation that went blindly in and was somehow convinced and sweet-talked into it, no way. A nation that for its entire history is going to go through Gehenim and back and carry that name of Hashem and defend the name of Hashem and proudly represent the name of Hashem is going to be a nation that's going to have to be convinced, that's going to believe because of their experiences that they are indeed the chosen nation, that Hashem is the God that has led them out and you see that in the constant questioning. And so the first season, this moment, this first moment of, why are we here? Why did you take us out? We told you we were going to die in the desert. He flips it on its head and says, ah, here is a nation that's going to be convinced through its experiences that Hashem is with him. And, and convinced because of their experiences they will pass that on to their children and to their children's children and to their children's children's children all the way down to us today. Had it been a simple thing where the first generation was just talked into it and somehow without a clear mind went, how many generations would that follow itself down? But a nation that says to Moshe, now what? Now what? And now, and now, and now, and now, and what are you going to do with this? A nation that through its experiences, Hashem will take them through each and every one. And they will live through Hashem's salvation, will see it with their own eyes, is a nation that will ultimately, in his language, be the very people who will cheerfully give themselves up for centuries to fight the world, to die for the teachings of Moshe. And it is a proof that the sending of Moshe must have won them over to an unassailable conviction by the actual deeds and occurrences that are going to happen in the, in the Midbar. And so this is the first step that you see the people question. The people are unconvinced. The people are like complaining is part of the process that they were not blindly following anything and they didn't blindly believe. They had to be, it had to be earned and it was proven to them through all of their experiences. 
that is what he sees in this particular uh, episode and many others that we will follow. And I conclude with one other brilliant comment that he says, in the Jews complaining, and they say, what, what, there are no graves in Mitzrayim. Why do you take us out here to die? Refers points out that line is a, in other contexts, you would almost say like a hilarious, witty line. Here you are about to die, right? The sea's in front of you. The Egyptians are behind you and you're convinced you're finished. And so you complain to Moshe. You say, why did God take us here to die? Good, that's a clear, classic complaint. Well, how do they say it? They say it with a little bit of sarcastic humor. What, Moshe? You ran out of graves in Egypt. You have to take us here. They're making jokes now. This is a time for a comment like that, that you ran out of graves in Egypt. Why did you take us here? Says Refersh. Oh, the sharp irony. Even in moments of deepest anxiety and despair is characteristic of the witty vein, which is inherent in the Jewish people from our earliest beginnings. A Jew makes jokes. A Jew understands trauma, tragedy, fear, anxiety, and always has a way to make a comment that could be a little bit sarcastic, that can be witty. Refresh points out from our earliest beginnings. Well, you ran out of graves, Moshe. Huh, huh? No graves in Mitzrayim. It's too expensive there. So you found a cheaper plot here. How could they make a comment like that? And they're about to die. Yes, says Refersh. A Jew understands to survive whatever it takes to survive. If you need a little bit of comment, a little bit of humor, a little bit of wit, then that's what it takes. But we see it already here that that is the trait, that is the nature of the Jew to be able to make such a comment always. And he does point that out, which I think is a fascinating comment. As we've seen, you know, uh, <coughs> Jews often are, are, are uh, there are those who complain how we have a certain sense of humor. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the way of the Jew. We, we, uh, we have a little bit of a dark sense of humor, and sometimes it's a survival technique, and you see it already here in the Jews uh, as they exit Mitzrayim. Those are a couple of comments from Refersh on these first two, so to speak, detours or obstacles that face us on our way out, that Hashem himself saw that we weren't ready to face war, and therefore we had to learn to trust him. So he takes us in a circuitous route while we learn that lesson. And then the first time that the Egyptians pursue us and the Jews complain and refer says, yes, this is a nation that's going to earn its faith and trust in God as well. And that's going to take us throughout all the centuries. It's not going to be where we're smooth talked into it. We're going to see, we're going to experience, and that's going to be the strength to pass it on from generation to generation. Have an awesome, wonderful day. I'll stick around for some questions. I know there were some. Um, and wishing everybody, uh, wishing everybody well.